This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Trey Harkins, and I'm sounding peppy today, right? I'm pumped because I got some good news today, which I'll tell you about in a moment. But the reason that you are tuning in here is to listen to an interview with a person who has done a lot of stuff with independent music, whether that's playing in bands, whether that's working at record labels, or taking the principles that they have learned from this beautiful punk, hardcore, indie rock scene and apply it to their daily life. That's what we're doing here. And the guest this week is Carly Coma, who is the vocalist from, I was about to say hardcore legends, but like they're just heavy music legends, Candiria. Candiria has been at it since the mid-90s, and they are just going strong still. They are doing some amazing stuff. They just released a record last year that's really, really, really good. And uh, we talk about so much stuff. Like it, it really did feel like I was hanging out with Carly, just just having coffee, going over things. And uh, he is such an interesting person and has a very interesting perspective on so many things. And it's just, uh, yeah, he's a very grounded, rooted individual that I loved having this convo. So more on him in a few moments, but like I said, good news today. So for those of you that have been paying attention over the past couple months, know that my wife and I have been dealing with uh, her diagnosis of cancer and she's been going through chemotherapy. And, um, you know, frankly, it's been fucking brutal. Um, there's no other way to put it. I, uh, I never fully felt like I entered any sort of mode of depression. I generally speaking was kind of, you know, basically putting, putting up the good fight and, uh, you know, not really breaking down into a puddle of tears, even though I could have at many points, but I was like, no, nah, man, can't do that. Can't do that. And today we got the positive news that, uh, there is no cancer in her system right now, but granted, this is one of many, many tests that she's going to go through over the next couple uh, of years, but Every piece of good news that you get out of this, like you just, you, you hold on to it, you savor it, you love it. Like I'm holding it up to my cheek right now and I'm just rubbing it. So anyways, for those of you that have engaged me, shared stories in regards to how cancer has affected their lives, I really appreciate it because uh, all the discourse around it is, um, you know, frankly, like it's just a lot of cliches rolled around. And I like the way that I was able to have discussions with people who wrote the show and who interacted with me on social media. It wasn't just, uh, you know, oh, thoughts and prayers. It was like I felt I felt the presence of all these people. So including you, I'm pointing at you. Maybe. Well, maybe you didn't write, but I know it was in your heart <laughs> anyways. So that's why I am sounding so good. And uh, I feel great about this and I feel great about the show. So, you know, forgive me because I know I've missed a couple uh, quote unquote fake deadlines in regards to putting up the show on a Wednesday and I've been putting it up on Thursdays recently. So, you know, that's just that's that's life. You know, you're going to get it on a Wednesday or Thursday, but I'm shooting for Wednesdays. And that's kind of that's that's what's happening in my neck of the woods. So anyways, like I said, Carly was just so <clears throat> awesome. Like he, it was such a great chat. And he, uh, there, there was no stone unturned in my mind, and I was very, very glad that we could have this convo. So, without, uh, without me delaying this any longer, I'm going to let you uh, hear this conversation. And uh, we talked for a while, so uh, you know, maybe pour a cup of coffee, uh, you know, pull a drink of water, or pull a drink of water. Who does that? Anyways, here's Carly. I'll talk to you after this. Like 
first got keyed into you guys, I actually worked in Century Media for about 10 years or so, but it was right as you guys were leaving to put out your stuff on Lakeshore. Um, so, but it, I, I got keyed into you guys. It, I think it was basically like late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I, I just became, yeah. I became aware of you guys because I'm from Southern California. You guys came through here, but a very definitive show. I remember, um, for myself and a lot of other people in Southern California was when you were, I think it was you guys, Cryptopsy and Poison the Well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that was a tour. Right, and it, it was weird because you guys played the Key Club, which is, um, you know, was, mm-hmm. uh, was unconventional for bands of a heavy nature to really play the Key Club at that time. Yeah, um, yeah. But the thing that really struck me about that show is, like, you know, I'm I'm basically a punk and hardcore kid. I was raised in that scene. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what I watched at that show was the fact that you guys, I mean, granted, you couldn't get a more diverse bill. Like, <laughs> you pulled Yeah, the- I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but for for the people that that attach themselves to you guys, it seemed like everybody liked one part of your band a lot, and then kind of mm-hmm. dealt with the rest, so to speak. Where they're like, "Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I love their jazz parts. The screaming isn't for me, but dude, they're so talented." Or then like a person mm-hmm. that was into the mosh parts was like, "God, they have like the best mosh part." You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I presume that you guys noticed that and kind of, you know, really relished in it in some respects, or was that just something that you guys were like, oh, it's kind of funny that everybody likes a little little piece of us, but maybe can't stand the other parts? I'm not completely uh, surprised uh, by that, because some people get uh, Candiria right away, and some people, uh, it it, it takes them a few listens, right? But the good thing is, like, if the person's into jazz, then they'll focus on the jazz part, and after a few listens, then they'll eventually get into the rest, uh, to, to, to the other um, aspects of the, of the songs. And, um, and same thing with the mosh parts, or whatever the case may be. You know, we give just a little something just to lure you in, and hope, and hope that, that other, after a few listens, that, that, that the listener gets it, you know? But, but the main thing is, like, you know, it, we, it, it that's our identity. You know what I mean? It's like, it's who we are. I'm like, this is what we do. You may like it. You may not, but, uh, um, we hope that you walk away at least respecting, uh, um, respecting the fact that the band is talented. Right. Right. Yeah. And I just loved yeah. it. it. Totally. And I, I loved it for the fact that, um, you could look around at the people in the audience and see distinctly, you know, very easily where it's like, okay, that, this person likes those parts of Candiria. And it was cool because, like you said, there was that mutual respect of, you know, maybe you didn't identify with everything that you guys were doing, but there's that, that underlying respect, like you said, of the musicianship where it's like, dude, these guys are talented, you know, like regardless of maybe you didn't like the heavy stuff or whatever. You know, the funny thing is sometimes, like, and we would joke about this back in the day where we, we write dance parts, mosh parts or whatever, and we would throw in, you know, we, we would throw in like an odd time signature and you would see like everyone in the mosh pit, like, what do I do here? Because it completely messed up their rhythm. We found it hysterical. But uh, that, you know, that would happen sometimes. And uh, that was, uh, it was fun to watch from, uh, you know, from my point of view. Totally. I always like to call those parts like the, uh, the, the pump the brake parts where it's just like, yeah. oh, uh, okay, I guess like I'm, I'm going to go to the side now and just like chill out until yeah. the, the part comes back, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hysterical. Anyway. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and yeah. you, you yourself, you were were you born you you were born and raised in New York City, or where did you come up? Because I I just didn't uh, discover that information personally. No, no, Brooklyn all my life. Okay. You know, I was born in Brooklyn, King, Kings County Hospital, and like uh, and uh, I love New York. Um, and and this is something I said in the past. You know, I, I don't think Canderia could have existed anywhere else. You know, and I think a big part of our sound is because of the fact that we're from here. You know, like everyone else, for the most part, they have to go. Um, you know, they have to travel around the world to uh, experience different cultures. In New York, the world comes to you, and and like you can walk a few blocks down, and and, and I've, something. This is something I always say. You know, I mean, you walk through like you know a few blocks to the left. You know, in uh, Asian neighborhood, blocks to the right, Caribbean neighborhood, you know, Italian neighborhood, like it's all around us. And like I said, you, you get to experience great food, great music, great people. Yeah, totally, and that's the uh, the. Yeah. I always like that uh, geographical nature of bands where you can tell by just the sonics of the band of where they're located. You know, I do agree with you. You know, I couldn't see Candiria existing in um, like Chicago, you know, like uh, maybe in in certain respects. Yeah. But you guys probably sound drastically different. Whereas like, you know, there are certain, there are certain bands that, Especially this day and age, just because you know, the technology exists where band members can live, you know, in many, many different places and don't have mm. a sort of sonic hub from a local scene mm. to pull from in order to kind of have yeah. that. Oh, you're from Louisville, Kentucky, or like, oh, you're from yeah. Tampa, Florida, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like if you look at it, like let's look at it just in terms of like hip hop. You know, if you look at hip hop, you can clearly tell the West Coast sound, the East Coast sound. Like, you know, the Southern Sound, like every, like every neighborhood, every state, in a sense, like has like their own, you know, has their own sound. And like I said, and, and Candiria completely fit, uh, really fit um, the New York Sound. It's a perfect expression of, of our city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so yeah. what, was your, what was your family structure like growing up in, uh, in Brooklyn? Like, what was your mom and dad doing for work? Or did you come from, uh, you know, a single family home with mom or dad, brothers and sisters? What was the Yes, a, a single family home with, with my mom. My mom and dad separated, you know, when I was when I was very, very young. And, you know, it's one of those, you know, I'd say it like typical, you know, Typical thing where mom was pretty much supporting, like you know, uh, the household. Very very strong woman, and I and like it's uh, she always she always pushed me. I remember this one this one time she was buying. Uh, we were living we were living in East New York, and she was buying like a heavy tub of like plaster to fix like the wall or something like that, right? And I was super young. I, maybe I was seven or something like that. But she had me help her. I'm like, Mom, I'm like, you know, this is heavy. And she's looking at me, she goes, well, you can do it. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to have to do it because I need help with it. And like, right away, I, I just knew that um, that life was going to be different. And like, I'm like, all right, you know, I have to power through. She needs my help. You know, so uh, a lot of stuff like that, a lot of stuff like that uh, happened and was a big part of my upbringing. Uh, like, you know, in certain, when life would get, let's say, tough or when life even gets tough now, I have this compelling, um, something compels me that even though everything inside of me wants to run, my first um, reaction is to power through. 
you know, and, and I do feel uh, that my upbringing in New York, in, in my home, is the reason why I'm like that. That's amazing. Yeah, you 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 have this uh, resiliency that uh, is built in inside of you just based on the circumstances of your surroundings. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and you know, like, and and the thing is, you know, you look at it where in terms of, uh, I, I always try, try not to be defined by my circumstances, and I think a lot of times we tend to do that, and like, uh, and it's like, all right, here's another obstacle, you know. Um, I've heard this one saying uh, years ago, a failure is someone who never realized how close they were to success. And, uh, and, and success doesn't always mean money. You know what I mean? You can still be a janitor and be successful. You know? It's a, it, it, depend, it depends what, what, what's the plan, what, whatever plan is you know, for your life, whatever God has planned for your life, whatever. You know, it, it, it's it's one of those things like I I do not define success by money uh, because money you can't take it to the grave with you. You know, it, it's intangible. And I used to be like that, but I got over that real quick. You know, after um after we got our settlement from the accident, and so somewhere I'm like, all right, well, like, I don't feel any different. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like so. It's like that was a big uh, a big uh, uh, you know wake up call to me, you know, and back to the, you know, going back to the, you know, the resiliency, I think that's the same, I applied the same thing after our accident, you know, we, um, we got, you know, we got hit by the truck or whatever the case may be, and I instantly wanted to go back out on the road, it's just, all right, here's another obstacle, I almost died for it, but dust myself off and, like, go back and do it again, it's what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you you yeah. never you never know how you're going to react to certain circumstances um, until you're actually faced with them, and you can kind of yeah. go you can go through every sort of cliched response in the way that mm-hmm. you know, oh, people are strong and resilient, but you like you don't know until yeah. you're there, and then you realize that yeah. this sort of it's almost instinctual where certain people yeah. are, are have that makeup to be like, all right, well, like you said, you know, this is just a challenge, this is an obstacle, this is you know, yeah, it's pretty dire and i I almost lost my life but you know i'm I'm still here i'm still standing and that's uh you know that's something to be thankful for that's uh that's incredible that like you said your mom was able to you know not uh probably not intentionally like you said just sort of circumstantially be like well carly i need help you're like oh yeah i guess i guess so 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 you did you have uh, brothers and sisters or basically just you and your mom yeah 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 yeah. i have a no i have a I have uh, three brothers and, and three sisters, big family. If you notice, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. If you notice, whenever uh, whenever we go out to eat, I always eat very quickly. I was with my brother over the weekend, and he's like, dude, what is up? I'm like, first of all, you're the oldest. I had to, you know, I'm like, I literally wanted to make sure no one took, like, two leftovers. So you would eat quick just to make sure you can get uh, more before, like, uh, you know, before the food is, you know, gone. You know, I like food, right? And so, um, so, so it's kind of funny how those things, once again, like, you know, they, uh, they, they shape you, you know, they shape you as well. Even now it's like, oh, I'm like, dude, we just sat down and ate. I'm like, oh, I'm done already. <laughs> you know, I, no, no, I eat quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What was your, what was your mom doing for, uh, for jobs as she was, you know, raising a lot oh, of kids? Uh, my mom, she was a, a seamstress. 
Like, oh, you know, okay. it's like, yeah, she was a, yeah, she was a seamstress. And, uh, um, she went out, you know, she, she, she bought a house, you know, she bought a home and like, she like supported it like all herself and uh, by herself. And then, um, and then she started like, uh, I guess just like, you know, like renting like, um, floors in the homes to people kind of like all in landlord and, and like, you know, the backyard, like rented that out for like, you know, people who wanted to like park their cars or whatnot. And so it was one of, so, you know, she always finds she had a good hustle, you know what I mean? So those things like I told him like, all right, she's just going to hustle just to make sure, you know, she, 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 she takes care of things, you know? Right. And I would always, um, you know, didn't really have much, uh, growing, uh, growing up. Uh, it, it, Here's where I, where that, where I kind of looked at it as like, let's say now as like a good thing, because, you know, uh, we didn't have, let's say like many toys, toys or whatever. I would spend a lot of time uh, in the backyard, uh, just, um, digging through, you know, dirt, playing with worms, playing with insects, and then, uh, just creating like my own toys. And, and I realized now, like if I grew up on an iPad, or if I, you know, just whatever, like, I don't know if my imagination, uh, uh, if I would have the imagination that I have now, I was forced to create, forced to think outside the box because I ha I wanted to have fun. <laughs> All right. So even now to this day, like I'm fascinated by National Geographic, how animals like interact uh, with each other. I'm like, even when I'm cooking, I'm like, oh, let me try this spot, this spice, this spice. I'm always, I'm always creating, I'm always, um, experimenting. And, and now I see how that plays into my, 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 uh, my songwriting, you know, it's like, yeah. Right. And, and yeah. And I'm glad, uh, you know, of course things could have been better, of course, but like, I don't, I don't regret, I don't regret how I was brought up, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're given a different, uh, experience and through that, you're able to reflect on the fact that, oh, because I, you know, didn't have these things that I do have this. It's kind of like, you know, addition yeah. through subtraction. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, exactly. You know, and then, yeah, you could look at kids that, you know, might have had, uh, you know, G.I. Joes and Voltrons and everything else that, you know, have mm -hmm. something that you may not. You're like, oh, they may have, mm -hmm. they may have more of a memory to remember every G.I. Joe figure. But you're just like, well, that's fine. Yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> My life's fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and, then, and I, like I said, I would. Uh, I remember this one time. Um, my uh, my teeth came out of my mouth. You know what I mean? And, like I just fell out, and I buried it just to see what would happen. So I'd just go back and check. I'm like, oh, oh, let me see how the let me see if the bones decompose. This is what I'm doing. Okay, yeah. and I would go to Prospect Park. I would catch tadpoles and then and try to try to make it. You know live of course that thing was dead in like a week or whatever it's not horrible and then uh this is a real funny thing I, I would i would watch a lot of um like uh like bugs bunny and stuff like that tom and jerry all that stuff uh growing up and so i i, I was fascinated by this one episode where um when yeah i don't know who it was i don't know if it was bugs bunny or whatever because they caught like caught like a bird had like a a trap where you put the stick under a box and with a string and you pull it and it falls. So I, I would catch birds like that. I would catch cats. <laughs> this is what I was Right. Like, That's amazing. It's amazing. Like if I, if I had like, you know, a bunch of video games, like a bunch of toys, which I did have some toys, but you know, if I had like all that, so I don't know if I, if I would be doing that. You right. know, I was like, 
it's weird, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. I look back at it like, what's, what's wrong with me? <laughs> no, that's that, that's that's incredible. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. so what kind of uh, what kind of kid did you find yourself? You know, as you started to get into junior high school yeah. and you know high school or junior high and high school, um, what kind of kid yeah. did you find yourself being? You know, were you uh, did you care about school? Did you care more about the music that you were getting into? Where was your head at? Um, when I first, uh, let me see, you know, it was, I'd go through stages of being popular and not being popular. Which is, you know, when, when you're when you're that young, that's the only thing that really matters. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's like you know, we all want to be at least, at least um, at that age, we all want to be like like. So, um, so I, I was very uh, just very funny, you know. I mean, just a, still now, I'm just I can pretty much make a joke uh, out of anything. It's uh, a lot of times it, it takes me a lot to be serious, even though I, I can be very, very serious, very, very insightful and stuff like that. But I like making people laugh, right? Uh, so I, I was a funny dude. And so junior high school, like my first year was like a little weird because they completely took me uh, out of uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, the Flappish area. And I went to the Marine Park area, which was to me was a culture shock because like literally like it was taken out of a black neighborhood into a white neighborhood. And it, and it was at 14, it was like, oh my God, I'm like, okay, I have to just, this is, it was a culture shock. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to interact. So like, you know, um, so the first year was uh, very awkward for me. Um, I got left back, right? I got left back because I ended up cutting, like a, um, cutting school and the, and those, and the, it's kind of funny, the reason why I cut school, there was this, um, <laughs> this girl wanted to like date me, you know, like, I didn't like her at all. And like, uh, she had, um, I didn't know she had six fingers. So, you know, I was young. <laughs> so I didn't know. So I freaked out. I cut school for like two months. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, this is, of course, now I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, uh, my niece had like six fingers. As when you're like a junior high school, you're like, what do I do? It's like, yeah. so I'm just like, you know, breaking it off. I just cut school. But I spent a lot of time like, you know, like, like in the park and like, you know, catching tadpoles and stuff like that. But I finally went back to school and like, uh, got, uh, you know, I got left back. But here's where, here's where the story is awesome, right? So I had to do the seventh grade all over again. And uh, I was doing really, really well in my, uh, you know, with my studies, whatever. I was enjoying language arts. I was enjoying science, math. Yeah, I could take it a little bit, right? And, uh, um, at the end of the school year, towards the end of the school year, what happened, I ran into, um, I met Chris Kuma, and uh, and he's the guy I ended up starting Candiria with. So, it's, so if I didn't get what I left back, I never, I don't, I can't do that more. Yeah, I can't do that more informed right it wouldn't right. have happened so yeah. so, so there's, one, there's yeah. one situation where i ran from <laughs> right right and it worked out perfectly um yeah, yeah, yeah. so what is candiria ostensibly your first band like did you play in anything else kind of before that relationship blossomed well i played with uh well the, the band uh before candiria was uh it was still with Chris, and it was still with Eric, the two guys I started Cantier with, but it was like, you know, we were 16. We called the band Raging Angel. It was really corny stuff. Like, you know, 16. In fact, there was a song in the demo that we, we did a cover of Mary Had a Little Lamb. Just to give you an idea, we kind of had like a Beavis and Butthead mentality thing, or, or SpongeBob and Patrick mentality thing going right. on, right? right. And so, uh, and, um, and actually, Mike was actually singing that the, one of the songs off the demo to me at the last band rehearsal. I'm like, dude, 
please, keep that buried. Right? Only a few people have that. We only printed up like 200 demos uh, or whatever. Um, but that, that was our first first band, and it morphed into Tangeria. This is where um, we put out a flyer that we wanted to start a, um, a death metal band, because at that point I was starting in the death metal, and Kenny, Ken Shock, started a flyer, and rehearsed with us, and kind of helped him. He took the band to like another level. He was the oldest guy in the band, so he introduced all these odd time signatures, he introduced jazz, he introduced the fact that um, not every song needs a chorus, so, and all this, uh, uh, all this information, the dude was very smart, so Ken Shaw, um, you know, he's not in the band anymore, it is a big reason why it was a huge part of Candira Sound and like helped to guide us towards um uh towards the sound that we um that we have now even sure you know? sure yeah and the uh the the experience that you had in getting into you know different subcultures you obviously mentioned hip-hop before and then getting into death metal mm-hmm. um you know clearly because you are a black man getting into a world mm-hmm. of predominantly you know white dudes doing weird music shit mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. how, how you know how, how did you first of all get exposed to that was it basically just kind of the friends at your school that were showing you all this different stuff um because you know it's usually it's hard to kind of have that wide range of tastes at the age that you know you were blossoming into a, a music fan where it's like yeah i like hip-hop and death metal it's like that did, that's not a normal experience carly <laughs> <laughs> you know, point it's um but like uh like in my house you know we grew up to listen to Nat King cole elvis gladys knight and the pips and michael jackson bevo um, like Duran Duran, like everything, literally the radio, everything was playing in my house, right? And like, uh, and I remember MTV was starting to come out, and like you know, and like we couldn't afford it, so there was this station called U sixty eight, and all they played was you know metal, and metal and, and, and hair metal, right? And I when I first watched it, I wasn't into it, but. It was, I love music. So I'm like, all right, I'll just watch it because I'm being exposed to music videos. And I tell it's like, I'll just watch it. And eventually I got into it. You know, I, I was listening to Police, Molly Crew, Wasp. Um, you know, like, like Twisted Sister was uh, one of my favorites growing up. Like all, all, like all these bands, you know, and I eventually got into it. So I was already into, um, uh, let's say, Hair metal or um or heavy metal at like you know at like a really young age, Black Sabbath, all that stuff, right? But then when I went to uh, you know Marine Park, uh, I gravitated towards this kid, uh, his name was Scott Davidson, and like you know he really was started hanging out like a lot and really listening to. He goes, "Oh, did you check out this record and check out this record?" So I had someone that I was going to do with that um that we literally just like listened to metal, cut class, listened to metal like every day and it was, it was very, very, uh, it was a, it was a great experience because, you know, it's like, I, I found someone that, uh, I can, I, uh, I can identify with. So, um, and like I said, and as time went on, once again, I just, when, when I met Chris Puma and he got me into, uh, Metallica and I made it, then I started going, getting into like the heavier stuff. Then I got everyone into like, I met this kid, um, I think it was Dave Pugisi. I think that was the best name, Pugisi, and he got me into death metal. So it's like I can think of it all. So it just started progressing, and like I remember I worked at um 
Italian pizzeria, uh, Italian's Italian pizzeria in Brooklyn, King's Plaza, 16 years old, and I met this kid. I, I can't remember his name right now at the top of my head, um, but he, she played guitar. So I would, I love metal so much that after work, after getting off at uh, 11 o'clock, I would walk to his house like 45 minutes, sit in his room, and he would, I would sit in front of him and he would play covers uh, of Metallica songs. And like, I was just, just amazed. Uh, amazed. So this, this is what I did. Any anyone who played uh, any anything that had to do with metal, I would just gravitate towards uh, gravitate towards that person. Right, right. Yeah, like a sponge. Yeah, it's it's cool because it, it definitely is reflective over what you're saying. Your New York experience of having all these cultures being thrown at you at once, and you having mm-hmm. the ability to kind of pick and choose. But you know what what gravitated you towards the you know the more independently minded side of things just because um you know a lot of the influences and bands that you were mentioning you know didn't have uh the idea of you know a mainstream music appeal um and once you started to go to shows like did you notice that sort of uh you know subculture and you know political awareness and uh, because you even though Candiria itself isn't a political band you've always been you know outspoken in regards to your beliefs and kind of where you know you stand a lot of things so um did, I, I presume that was attractive to you once you started to, you know, kind of experience independent punk and hardcore and metal shows? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's like whether you agreed with what was being said or not, it's like you um, you couldn't help to be sucked in by their passion, right? It's like, uh, you know, when there's something to be said about someone who's passionate about something, whether you agree with them or not. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, wow, like you can see this person believes this. I may disagree with them, or I may agree with, agree with them, or whatever. But I remember, uh, I remember hearing this, um, this one thing a few years ago, and, and, and like it stayed to me, it's like, uh, a man without enemies is a man who hasn't fought for anything. And like and that always stayed with me. And the thing is, that could be for your family, it could be for your job, it could be for standing, whatever. It could be on the smallest level to, to you know to the biggest level, you know. And like w- w- one of the things that I, I um, really loved about, let's say, uh, watching some of those bands, like you know, I don't care if you like me or not. This is what I have to say. And uh, in, in this day and age, I think because we live in such a politically well, maybe not now, <laughs> but, but like but we live in for the most part, live in a politically correct society. Um, sometimes people will keep their mouths shut, and I've been guilty of it myself, just to try to please the other person. You know what I mean? And like, you got to kind of like, I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? I this is where I stand on this. You know, uh, and um, yeah, you know, sometimes you know, like I said, every situation's uh, every situation's different, whatever the case may be. But like, um, but for the most part, that that's what pulled me. That's that was one of the reasons why I was pulled in. To, let's say um, all these underground bands. Right, right. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And how how is how is your your family or brothers or sisters reacting to you? You know, bringing stuff that was not typical not only for your own personal experience, but just like when parents 
start to see the stuff that is you know strange and weird coming into their door it's like uh carly what are you what are you doing like or were your or was your mom generally supportive over the stuff that you were bringing home that at all. I mean, it was weird. I mean, she, I remember she, she came um, in my room. She, uh, she just, after a while, she just ripped down all my posters. <laughs> she ripped down my I made poster, like all my, because she, she's like, what is going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, she looked at me once and, uh, that was just, you need to just go out and get like a regular, uh, a regular job. And like, you know, go out and focus and do those things. And it's like, oh, I'm not, and granted, I think that's great. If, if that's what I want to do. Me personally, it's like, I'm, I'm not built that way. You know, I remember just one, I remember I was going to, um, I was going to, uh, and this is, keep in mind, you know, like, you know I, I was in junior high school going to harass this whole denied. And uh, I got, you know, left back again because, you know, like I said, now I love learning. Back then it was like, you know, like I wanted to go to the school that I wanted to go to and I didn't get accepted into it because I got left back the previous year. And uh, um, so I went and I took my GED. And when they looked at my score, like on the practice test, the lady looked at me, she goes, what are you doing here? She goes, so like, you're extremely smart. <laughs> and I kid you not, I looked out the window. This was in the black neighborhood. I looked out the window, said, I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> she just looked at me like I was on drugs. And then that's it. And I took my GED. I love her. She looked at me like I was crazy. Right. <laughs> she goes, what? But it's one of those things. I, I wouldn't call myself a, I wouldn't, you know, now I wouldn't use that term, but like that, at that, at 17, that's, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, so that's what I called it. Now I would just say, you know, I want, I want music to be my life. You know what I mean? But like, uh, but I was so driven that it's like, whoever made fun of me, whoever, whether my family, you know, whatever case may be, like, I know what I want to do. And my brother brought something up to me a few months ago. He's like, dude, he goes, he goes, you are stubborn. He goes, once you make up, make your mind up, you just keep going and no one can change it. I go, yep, that's pretty much me. You know what I mean? So they thought I was crazy, but now they just say like, all right, this is, now they look at it like, wow. I was like, I, I admire the fact that after all these years that you went and you did what you loved, you chased after, you know, what you love, whether you're making money or not, you still stuck still stuck through it because you're a little centric but <laughs> but like but it makes sense why you'd be driven to go do that so now um they're, they're very supportive that's awesome yeah regard yeah. i mean I, I think so many kids do feel that experience when they start to get into uh stuff that you know is contradictory to whatever their parents or their peers are into you do feel that sense of ownership over like dude this is this is my stuff. Like you know, I'm making yeah. this concerted decision to do this, and you know, no one else can tell me any different. And and yeah, when, when you can kind of stick to it yeah. and then show it yeah. over the short over the you, the duration of your life, that's when people are like, oh, yeah. oh so Carly really did mean this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, this just wasn't like a, a thing. You know, right. I had my raver my raver phase for a bit, and like they kind of stuck through that. But like, right. but like, uh, but they're like, uh, we knew, we know this isn't gonna last. But you know. Uh, for the most part it's like you know I stuck with it because it's I'm compelled to create music right right that's that's awesome breathing and so did you did you immediately gravitate towards you know doing vocals uh, or was that just a function of the fact that you couldn't play instruments as well as the the people that were surrounding you oh I couldn't afford it literally like I wanted to be like a guitar player and it's like I'm like and 16 and me and Chris are looking at each other this is when we're starting like you know to play and he's like um 
And he's like, uh, hey, I think we can both do guitars. So I'm like, how much guitars? I'm like, this much. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, I'll sing. Okay. <laughs> it's really that simple. That's amazing. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford a guitar, and so now I'm a vocalist. And so it worked out it, it worked out well. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's funny because usually, usually the experience of someone, especially being a vocalist of a uh, you know a band that ha- doesn't have any sort of mainstream aspirations, usually it's the it's yeah. one of two scenarios: the one that you're talking about, where it's like, oh man, I don't yeah. have the money for a drum kit or you know bass guitar yeah. or anything, uh, or it's just the <laughs> fact that everybody else already had their instruments, and then you're kind of left in the corner yeah. being like, um, all right, I guess I'll do I'll, I'll try this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Really came down to affording it. So <laughs> right, that's, that's that's amazing. Um, um, and so then you know, as as Kendiria started to you know get going, and you guys started to you know hit the road, uh, w- did touring come naturally to you, or was that something that uh, you had to kind of get used to, just because um, you know because of your circumstances? You know, I presume you weren't taking a ton of vacations to, uh, you know, around the country and stuff like that. And so was touring your first kind of taste outside of, uh, you know, Brooklyn and everything? No, uh, actually, uh, yeah, actually the, the the first time that I was even on a, um, the first time that I was on a plane, I was, uh, I I was, I was 27, you know? And so it's like, uh, but, but, and so it, it was one of those things where I had to, I wanted to see the world because of all the shows that I was, um, all the shows that I, I was exposed to, like National Geographic, all, all that stuff. So I know I want to, I know I want to see the world, right? But like, um, but it still took a while for me to get used to because I was gone for a long period of time. New York was pretty much just all that I knew. So even now, when I tour, it's like I have to mentally prepare myself. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be gone for like a while. I still, I still love experiencing like you know going to different cities and like you know and 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 doing all those things but like but it, it, it's um but it took it, it it took a while for me to to get used to that because it's like all right you hop in the vehicle you travel for 17 15 10 hours whatever you get to the club you sit around for a while you do interviews you hop on stage you load up you go right back and it gets a little monotonous at times but you look forward to that 45 minutes on stage so to speak, a fifty or a half hour, you know, whatever on stage, and that—that's what it's all about. Of course, meeting the fans as well, and that's what I look forward to uh, the most, and it's, it's very rewarding. Sure, absolutely, yeah. So many yeah. people, so many people that don't have the touring experience don't uh, yeah. re- realize the the hurt. The, I, I explain it like this: it's usually just like hurry up and wait so it's like yeah you drive yeah. forever to load in at four and then your set time's at ten thirty, yeah. and you're just like so what do i do here <laughs> i guess i'll hang yeah. around uh, the venue yeah. or like go get coffee next door but um yeah. yeah and then just like you said how monotonous it is where um yeah you can yeah. See, you can see the country but it's you know through the van window and you're not stopping to like hey let's go to the grand canyon you're like dude that's like six exactly. hours off the road of where we're going we can't do that Exactly, and you look at pretty much when you're you're uh, unless you have a day off. I think one of the best days off I had was uh, in Belgium. Uh, just loved it, right? But like, unless you have a day off, you're pretty much you know, sightseeing for you was in a it was in a five block radius of the club <laughs> or the theater or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, you know you're you know people have to realize you know you're, you're working. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's work. Yeah, I love it. It's the job that I love to do, but it's still it, it, it's work and it's it, 
can be hard uh, uh, mentally, can be mentally draining. That you have to go on, think about it, you have to go on stage in front of a bunch of people um, sometimes when you don't feel like going on stage in front of a bunch of people and you have to talk to them when your mind is someplace else or your mind is at home or, or whatever the case may be. I think one of the, the biggest, um, I guess one of the biggest concerns I have about, let's say, touring, um, and, I, and I know that other artists definitely uh, feel uh, the same way, it's like hearing that like uh, a family member or a loved one passed away and you're on the other side of the world and you might miss the funeral or whatever the case may be. That's something that, that I think about. You know, my mom's like, like 74, 75 years old. So it's something that I think about. Like, you know, I hope that like I'm not out of, I hope I'm not someplace where I can't get cold and something happens to like my, my mom. You know what I mean? And just being real with you, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. You know, it's like it's it's it it can be it can be tough or something's happening at home and like uh, you can't just rush and go there. You're like six thousand seven thousand miles away, separated by ocean. Uh, it, it, you know, there's ups and downs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a uh, sacrifice and a trade-off for, you know, you yeah. being able to pursue your art. There's the idea that yeah. you are not physically available for people and relationships that are meaningful to you. And it's like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, a, it's, it's all a bargain, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, like, uh, it, it's, uh, everything costs you something. Yeah, it's true. Everything. It's true. There's mm-hmm. a pr- good or bad, there's a price for everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to focus on uh, the time in Candiria where, um, you know, when 300% Density came out, that was uh, such a unique time for bands of the, you know, hardcore punk metal variety because that's when, you know, for lack of a better term, the you know mainstream music publication started to cover these bands, and you know bands were able to start making livings off of their you know heavy music, which was you know unheard of <laughs> prior to that. It's like yeah, you you, you can point to a band like you know Earth Crisis, or you could point to a band like you know Hatebreed, and then you know your old tour mates Poison the Well. It's like once those bands started to kind of break out, realize like wait a minute, like you can like make a living off this. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, granted, <laughs> yeah, granted. Yes. You could point to the, you know, the New York city hardcore bands in the early nineties, but you know, that was a, a, yeah. whole, a whole weird time in general. But anyways, my, yeah. po- my point being was the fact that there was uh, a lot of, uh, expectations and pressure put on you guys because of, uh, Oh, you know, Rolling Stone says that, uh, Candiria is going to be, you know, the next, uh, you know, hugest thing to come out of independent music. Um, was that something, mm-hmm. was that something that you guys, uh, I guess kind of just took in stride and like, you're like, that was cool, but, um, you know, it wasn't something that you were, you know, targeting to, uh, to accomplish. Um, w- but was that, that sort of pressure that's coming in on you guys? Uh, you know, did you enjoy that or was that something that you just did your best to ignore? I enjoyed it completely. I mean, it's like, and, and, and there wasn't really any pressure for that because it's, we were just doing what, came natural to us but I completely enjoyed it because you know when you before reality kicks in one of the things that um that will motivate you to um to, to start a band is you want to be the biggest rock star on the planet <laughs> right I mean, it, it, I'm just for the most part that's what motivates us because our imagination is set free no boundaries whatsoever you know um and so uh, I remember watching Iron Maiden Live After Death with Chris Puma sitting in front of a uh uh, and then watching it, you know, sitting in front of the TV, I'm like, 
but that's what I want. And we just sit there and we're like, all right, that's what we want. So it's like, um, those are the things that were driving us. So when Rolling Stone happened and MTV was happening, it's like, uh, I was like, first of all, I, I, I was only, oh, wow, it's really happening. I was kind of in shock. And I'm like, uh, no pressure, but I was bugging out. I'm like, what's going on? Like, this wasn't like, you know, you, you want it to happen and you know it's going to happen. But when stuff like that does happen, I'm like, why is this happening? <laughs> when it doesn't make any sense. So it's like a weird thing, like, kind of like, for me personally, going back and forth, right? And God's like, what is going on? Like, this is weird, you know? Um, I remember getting recognized at, like, I went to Jacob Javits' said car show, um, and someone stopped me, hey, I saw you on MTV. I'm like, I'm like, what is that? I'm like, this is awkward. I'm like, you know, this is weird. You know, um, but we took it, um, we took it inside. We just, we knew that whatever, whatever success came our way, whatever notoriety, notoriety came our way, we knew it was part of the job description. So, um, I didn't really feel too, uh, too much pressure, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, just, all right, this is what we do. This is how it feels like, you know? Sure, sure. And did you, did you have, um, you personally, did you have any sort of um, business sense about you in regards to the band? Because you know, usually there's one or two people in the band that kind of, you know, acts as the de facto voice. Because you know, there's no way that a record label or someone else has to like go around to every single band member and be like, "Okay, what do you think about this? Okay, what do you think about this?" You know, um, did did you fill that role in the band at all, or was that something that you know you voice your opinion, but there were other people that were doing kind of the communication for the band? Not, not, not at all. At that time, not at all. You know, I mean, it was. I was more literally just into, uh, of, just being a, a vocalist. You know, it's like you know when you're in Candiria, you're, you know, you're competing with every, you're competing with a lot of egos. Not necessarily that way, but like we all like, all right, this is what I do, and I do it well. So sometimes, you know, you, we would um. Sometimes you have to push your ideas forward because everyone has ideas, you know what I mean? And like, uh, so uh, my thing literally was um, just a creative dude and and like doing doing my show well and just um, opening my mouth, some business stuff here and there. But that was mostly Mike. Mike is uh, very good at that stuff. And uh, and it was Eric because Eric, um, Eric, when we first started the band, Eric was the one who really just pushed business-wise, the band forward. And even now, you know, he's one of my best friends. I still talk to him, and his, the way that his mind works is awesome in regards to that. Um, after uh, after Candira took some, you know, we, we took a hiatus after the Kiss the Live record, and we, um, and that's when I spent a lot of time, years, just educating myself. Uh, in regards to, like, uh, music, music theory, in regards to business, like publishing, you know, in regards um, and I just really wanted to understand the business, you know, because we've had, we had some, uh, we had some things happen to us that were kind of shady, like in the past. And we kind of, I kind of came, when I decided to come back, I'm like, well, that's never going to happen again. So I knew the ways that I, to help avoid those things, I had to educate myself. So now, me, Mike, and John, like, we were pretty much, for the most part, all on the same page. Um, uh, business-wise, and I definitely um, advise that every band member educate himself uh, in, in regards to uh, in regards to the music business. Yeah, um, just to, you know, just just to watch watch it back. You know, 
Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's like whether or not you care about the business of, you know, the band or the music or anything, you should, you know, you should at least have a topical understanding in order to, you know, contribute to the discussions that the band has as opposed to, oh, whatever, I don't care. It's like, that's fine when you're, you know, 16 or 17 years old. But then when stuff starts to get a little more serious, it's like, well, you should have an opinion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not, not not to you know belabor that that particular time, but I'm sure there were uh, you know a lot of uh, weird circumstances you were thrown into because you know there was a lot of label interest and a lot of people were you know kind of sniffing around the Candiria camp. Uh, do you have any anecdotal stories in your head that were kind of funny from that time frame? Whether or not it was something that was a uh, oh we got taken out to this you know ridiculous dinner or um, you know <laughs> this this dude flew out to watch us in you know in Omaha, Nebraska or something. Did you, do you have any of those that kind of stick out in your head um, that were, you know, funny? Or okay. weird? Oh, well, here's one uh, that really sticks out my head. Um, there's this guy, I'm not going to mention his name. So he, uh, he was a band friend and, um, and like, you know, we stayed at his house, always had some, you know, thought he had our back or whatnot. And when LA and we're signing, um, and uh, trying to sign it, I think that the deal for either Lakeshore or a publishing deal, whatever the case may be, but he was a friend of ours and he got us lick it up and uh, we signed. And I look back at it and I'm like, wow. And then we found out years later that he was, um, he wasn't as upfront, uh, honest as he should be. And then all these things started coming out and, um, and that's the thing, you know, watch out for someone trying to lick you up and putting a piece of paper in your face. But uh, I had to, gi- I had to give him props though. Like, you know, he was playing the long con and it worked, <laughs> you know, but like, uh, I, for the most part, like it was a, it was definitely a, um, definitely like an eye opener on just how, uh, how careful you have to be in regards to regards to your business. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, but so that's, and the thing is, I forgive the guy, like, I don't even really think about it, but, you know, it's like, oh my God, whatever, you know. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of sharks out there. And like I said, any new band coming up, new bands, you know, whatever, they've been out, around for a while. Like, you should know every set that's coming in, every set that's coming out has paperwork for everything, complete transparency on every level. And, uh, it is, uh, it, it, it'll save you a lot of um, a lot of heartache, so to speak, right? But uh, once again, like never again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, you, you, you do you do see a lot of people trying to become you know parasitic towards a band when they feel like they uh, can kind of wedge themselves in there and offer something that you know a band may yeah. not have uh, considered in the first place, and then all of a sudden be like, oh wait, what do we just do? But yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry that happened, yeah. I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a, a few last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Is I mean, there's sure. no there's no way that anybody can uh, you know speak to you and talk not talk about like you mentioned earlier the the fact you got in a you know horrific accident and like you mentioned the settlement like you know that's all been well documented and everything like that but uh, to me what i was interested in is the um you know once you you know were able to you know kind of pull yourself up with your own bootstraps and sort of have a vision for the future um you know what did you actually start to do to kind of you know put yourself back together in the way of like i, I need to exist in the world now like i know the band isn't going to have 
um, you know, through injuries and through all the horrible mm-hmm. things that happened to you guys, you know, the band mm-hmm. wasn't going to be as much of a focus of what you guys were doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, I guess, how did you get through those sort of, you know, dark times and what did you actually do yourself to, you know, kind of keep that, that uh, resilience <laughs> alive inside of you? Uh, the, um, I was, uh, I, I, I worked at like a telemarketing place for like years and it was a very humbling experience to go from like, you know, like, uh, skyrocketing in regards to your career, like seeing things starting to happen to you to now. So I've been like, okay, now it's like, uh, I, I can't tour for like a while because of the lawsuit because they, they were walk, they you know, they were walking us, the insurance companies were walking us and I had to go to, I worked in like a, um, like a warehouse, wasn't the cleanest warehouse and like, and I was, I was a tele, tele, telemarketer. I worked on Wall Street before that in the beginning, so I, I know how to sell. Uh, so it was just very, very humbling just to have a boss who was younger than you, like saying, okay, I'm going to need you to do this. And the thing is, and I appreciate that. And the reason why I appreciate it is like, um, it helps to put things in perspective. You know, I think when you're, especially when you're a vocalist, um, you can think it's all about you and, and all that stuff. And like, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we can do as musicians is thinking that, that we're it, so to speak. Right? I think once you get there, you kind of lose some of your hunger, some of the hunger that got you there, you know? And so that experience, that hunger experience helped me to say, all right, can here is just my job. Okay, that can be taken away from me at any given time. Like, I want to be the same person that I am on stage, that, that I am when I'm home, that I'm, or hanging out with friends, whatever. I want to be that same. Of course, when you're on stage, you're, you're working, so of course you're going to turn it up just a little, but for the most part, like, my personality is the same personality I have on stage, it's the same personality I have when I'm with my friends by myself or my family or whatever. So, uh, uh, and it just, um, it, it, it just um, it helped it helped ground me. And one of the things that really it was like an eye opener after the accident and after people realized that we weren't going to be around for a while, maybe never even come back. One of the things that I was like, um, my phone stopped ringing. It was so weird, you know. You hear people talk about that, like you know, like, I guess like who, uh, you know, people let's say who on top of the world, and you know what I um in their careers or whatnot, and, and then it all goes away and their phone's not ringing. Like, I was completely surprised that my phone stopped ringing. <laughs> I think that's the thing that really, like, huh. So you started, I started to put a real value on friendship even more so, what the definition of a, tr- of a real friend right. uh, was. And like, that's again, I'm glad. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say that's that's such a. I'm really, really glad you mentioned that because it's so funny. I, I've had, I mean, a mutual friend of ours, um, Steve Joe. Like, he, you know, he worked at Century Media Records for years. I know you worked with him. Um, he was the one yeah. who actually he was the one who actually hired me at Century Media. But he. Uh, awesome. 
there was there was one thing that he mentioned to me that I found so interesting too, where it's like you know when you're in the middle of uh, you know the entertainment business, whatever it may be, whether it's working at a record label or whatever, um, and then you decide to either take a sidestep from it or you know become less active in it. Those are the points, like you mentioned, where you do realize like oh these people that like treated me nice, like they only just wanted something from me. Mm-hmm. But then you, but then yep. there are people who you may not have considered that good of a friend to be like, oh, those are the people that actually like really like me for who I am, as opposed to me being the vocalist of Candiri or whatever, you know? Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then, and then like that's a definitely an eye opener. Yeah. And I like it's like I said, I'm glad I went through it, and uh, it's uh, I, I love uh, I love people. Yeah, I love meeting new people, and, and I love um, yeah creating yeah. new friendships. You know, I mean, it's like, ah, this dude's cool, and, you know, and like, uh, I like that, you know, and real friendships, you know? Yeah, totally. That's the one who wants something from you. Right. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so, yeah, two last things I want to hit on was, uh, one, like you mentioned, you, you know, you're doing a telemarketing job for years. Um, so, you know, what did you find yourself doing, you know, after the crash and after you had to, you know, re-enter, you know, trying to find some semblance of whatever a career may mean, um, you know, like, what are you doing, you know, presently outside of the band just because they, you know, the band does occupy a lot of your time, but not to the extent of where, uh, I presume it occupies all your headspace where you, you know, you, you can't concentrate on anything else. So what are you, what are you doing to keep yourself, to keep yourself right now, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, right now, like, uh, um, definitely I'm working on my, uh, side project like uh, electronic I've been wanting to do it for like a while you know what I mean and uh, so once I was done writing with the record I started just programming beats and, and writing songs and hopefully hopefully I'll be done by April you know what I mean um, um, we have we have a huge summer tour coming up I can't announce it until like March or whatever but I'm hoping to have the songs done beforehand and maybe record after I'm in the Screen Actors Guild as well you know, so every now and then, you know, we'll work on something. So is Mike. Um, also, I like, uh, I, uh, I volunteer at my church uh, with kids and also at a soup kitchen in um, in the city, Father's Heart's um, ministry or whatever, like, you know, working with like the homeless people. So I, I keep, I keep myself, um, I keep myself very, 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 very busy. And also it's like, I'm uh, just um, learning new software, new software, learning how to like, mix you know um how to um learning sound design uh, i have this thing where like uh you know people say you know it's going back to when i was a kid again right so right. <laughs> what do you like i love just finding out how things work so um my hobby is troubleshooting <laughs> like oh how does this work i'm like i'll get frustrated i'm like all right here i go you know what i mean i know that i'm diving into something that once once when it's said and done it's like I'll learn something new, you know, and like, um, and I, and I tell this to people like all the time, you know, like when they're learning new software, whatever the case may be, it's like, uh, learn one new thing today about this, whether it's, um, native instruments, whatever software that they have, or building a sense from scratch, whatever the case may be, you learn one new thing a day. And by the end of the year, I would have learned 365 new things, uh, about this piece of software, whatever the case may be, piece of hardware. Right. And like, uh, I, I, I will continually stress we have to be in a constant state of learning. If we, if we think that we've arrived, we have a big problem. <laughs> you, yeah. You're just like flat, flat line. You right. Know? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, yeah. Super, that, I, I like, I like the engagement level because yeah, when you do, um, 
you know, so many people I, I know, you know, flounder at finding things that are interesting to them. You know, I mean, it's like the idea of, uh, like, oh, find mm-hmm. a hobby. You know, and it's like anytime mm-hmm. anyone's ever uttered those words to like anybody mm-hmm. I've been in the proximity of, I'm like, what do you mean find mm-hmm. a hobby? Like, I, I, I don't consider, you know, probably in the same way that you do, where it's like your hobby is like you know it's kind of all consuming you know it's just like well yeah it's yeah. it's music and yeah it's all the things that are attached to music and uh yeah. It's, yeah i find it so funny where like oh what are you gonna do when you retire it's just like well probably the same shit i've been doing for like 40 years you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know it's what it is you look at it it's like you know you know you stumbled on a passion when you work on it go to sleep and you can't wait to wake up the next day so you can do it all over again and you you would do it whether you were getting paid for it or not, yeah. you know. And like uh, and like that that's uh, so many people like you know they they might not know what their passions are, which is fine. But uh, I implore you to find out what it is, and like uh, it, it just um, adds another adds depth to your life, and like uh, and it also um, sometimes once again sometimes life can get monotonous even if you're doing the thing that you want, right? Uh, but like this find that thing you know what I mean like uh, that even another layer you know I, mean, I love creating music but now it's like I'm in love with like you know programming software you know, and doing sound design so it's still I'm still doing songwriting but now it's like wow it's a deeper level yeah. you know I felt like I just Totally. That and that's that that's the exciting part about uh, you know, growing growing older is the fact that you could trip into these other things that, you know, maybe at a younger age you would have had no idea that you had been interested in, but all of a sudden like yeah. it's a it's a treasure trove. You open up this whole new yeah. world and you're like, Oh my gosh, like there's there's yeah. this this whole other world and it's amazing, it's great. Yeah, it's great. I know. I get completely lost. Yeah, I love it. That's that's so cool. Well, Carly, honestly, thank you so much. This has been really fun for me, and I hope that uh, you have uh, derived some enjoyment out of this as well. Awesome, man. I love great conversation, great interview, and uh, thank you for not asking standard questions. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I love it. Right? It's always uh, it's always nice when both people can give compliments to each other the end of an hour-long conversation where it's like, hey, that that was cool. I really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, it always, uh, it's always nice. I have to thank Amy Ciaretto, who is a old colleague of mine. And um, yeah, she's just a great PR person. So if you're ever looking for PR, go to Amy Ciaretto. She is a legend within that scene. And actually, you know what? She'd be a good interview. I actually didn't think about that, but that would be fun. Anyways, uh, she hooked up the interview. Uh, she's Carly's and Kandiri is PR person, so thank you very much for having me do that interview. And um, the music, as always, is provided by Lowercase Noises. Please find him on Bandcamp, on Facebook, on any other social media platform, or Apple Music, or Spotify. Whatever it is you listen to music on, find his music. It's beautiful, and you'll love it. And uh, should I tell you the guest next week? I probably will, because uh, that's what I have been tending to do recently, right? I am talking to an old friend of mine, Rob Blasco. He is the bass player for uh, someone you may have heard of, Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know, maybe? <laughs> and he also played in some other legendary bands called Cryptic Slaughter and a bunch of other stuff. And then he manages a lot of bands called Black Veil Brides. And uh, he's, he's basically uh, one of my favorite dudes in the music industry. And uh, I love talking to him. And then uh, we decided to record one. So that's what we did. And that's what's coming up next week. So in my wildest dreams, I never thought that... <laughs> 
I would be like, oh yeah, I'm friends with the bass player of Ozzy Osbourne. Like, what sort of weird world is that? But uh, that's the music industry in a nutshell. So anyways, uh, I know that uh, this world feels so goddamn crazy right now. There are so many things happening on a hour-to-hour basis, but do what you can to take a break from it for even if it's just an hour or so just take a breather remind yourself that there are positive things around you there are positive things going on as far as the the pushback on all the political stuff that it, well i don't need to say all the political stuff all of the horrific things that are coming from the white house right now um so basically use art use your friends and comrades within the context of pushing back on all of this stuff that uh, we frankly just don't need as a country and uh, use that as a salve, be able to lick your wounds and be able to use that to get yourself through the next, you know, frankly, three and a three quarters years like that. I think I'm breaking up my years by the quarter. So anyways, um, but yes, please use that and hopefully use this podcast. So let it l- let it comfort you. Okay, because I'm feeling just as scared as you. I'm feeling just as nervous about everything that's happening. So there's that. Well, until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.